Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey guys, Ron Onesti here from the Arcata Theater in St. Charles and the Displains Theater in downtown Displains. And when I'm not podcasting on my own podcast, artists on lockdown hanging and banging with my buddies Carmine Apice and Vinny Epicy. I am with my buddy Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks. That's where I love the podcast. Keep rocking hard, guys. the hook rocks i'm your host jay scott thanks for tuning in getting ready for the holidays here both christmas and new year i can't believe it's already here it felt like it was december 1st and you felt like you had like weeks before christmas and then i was talking to a friend last night and they're like yeah christmas eve is friday i'm like what are you talking about like are you kidding so yeah, I am. Uh, I'm scrambling to finish, you know, being prepared and getting gifts for family and friends. And uh, man, I can't believe uh, 2021 is just about to close. We we spent so much time focusing on new great music over the past year that sometimes you lose track of time. And uh, here we are, and getting excited for 2022 because there's going to be a whole bunch of great music in the following year, in the next year as well. So for rock music fans, we're getting a little bit spoiled with all the new great music that is out there, all the new great bands that are doing great things. We're going to talk about it today. Before we, be- before we begin, just a reminder, we are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, great podcasts of music-related podcasts. You can check out my friends in Shout Out Loudcast, the great KISS podcast with Tom and Zeus. 
which we've also done. We've also started the Led Zeppelin Chronicles. It's kind of a collaborative podcast that I do with them. We just released our first official episode on Led Zeppelin 1, where we go through the songs, the production, and the influence the album had. You can also check out Mistress Carrie out there in Boston, great friend of the show, Martin Popoff, the rock historian, Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice with local Chicago promoter Ron Anesti, as well as Baco at Cobras and Fire. So check out all those great podcasts, as well as many others. You can find them at PantheonPodcast.com. You can follow them at Pantheon Pods on Twitter and also Facebook. You can also follow The Hook Rocks on Twitter at The Hook Rocks and also on Facebook. Um, you can follow us wherever you do podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, Apple, wherever. Uh, we're on every platform. We've had some great new episodes for the past few weeks. We just had Andy Beersack from Black Veil Brides on this past week. We had John Notto and Tyler Baker do a collaborative episode. Tyler Baker from Goodbye June and John Notto from Dirty Honey, as well as some great new music spotlights like Black Spiders, Crooked Shapes, Odd Even, Seven Stones, Crashing Wayward, and we just released the new episode with Faust from Nashville, Tennessee. So check out all those episodes and more. Um, Don't want to forget, also check out the episode with director Emer Reynolds, who directed the great Phil Lynott documentary, Songs for While I'm Away, a great documentary about the life and musician Phil Lynott from Thin Lizzy. Great conversation with her, and please enjoy that. And go check out that documentary, too, on all streaming platforms. All right, we've got a wonderful show lined up for you today, a show I've been wanting to have now for some time because I really respect what these individuals do. They're on the face and the front lines of the new rock scene in the U.K. They have a great magazine. Remember magazines? Remember the old school magazines that you used to flip through, like Circus Magazine and Hit Parader and all those great things, and you'd discover new bands, you'd read about new bands, and that really is kind of the essence of what they do. Um, and I'd like to welcome in George and Matt from Emerging Rock Bands. What's going on, guys? How are you? Hello. Hello. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> We're not too bad. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for doing this. Like I said, I've, I've been a big fan of what you guys do. Um, you guys really do it right. And you guys always maintain the same focus, which is promoting these new rock bands, which is so difficult to do in this day and age. And it's nice that there is a publication in the UK that does that. I wish we had something like that here in the US. At, at this time, we really don't. But with the emerging rock scene that's out there, whether you're in America, whether you're in North America, the UK or Europe or wherever, because the scene is really global now, um, it's nice, nice to have a publication where you can turn to, which you guys just uh, released the new, uh, I think it's the eighth ver- uh, volume of your of your, yeah. uh, of your magazine that's kind of released today. So, yeah. We've got issue eight out today. Yeah, it's come, it should have come out yesterday, but with the Christmas post, it's a little bit late. Sure. Um, but it's dropping on people's doormats today, which is really good. So, yeah. So before we begin, we always ask the same first question every time we have a first-time guest on the show. And that is really what the podcast is about. Um, just like every great rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you guys? Do you want to go first, George? Uh, I was going to say, do you want to go first? Um, 
I'll give it a go. Um, with me, I think because growing up, I I had two uh, two older sisters and an older brother um, around the eighties. So they were into like all the eighties music, like new romantics and stuff. But my mum was into country, and my dad was into like Genesis and Santana, those kind of things. So I grew up with a very eclectic mix of music. So it wasn't really until I started going to sort of um, what we call secondary school over here, where I was, must have been about 12 or 13. And there was the uh, the Britpop kind of music started coming in. So it was bands like Blur and Oasis and Skunk and Ancy and Pulp and all those kind of um, Britpop bands. Um, and that was probably my first memory of like getting into rock music rather than what was in the charts. Um, but it wasn't really until I... Um, I met my wife in 2006 and uh, she's 10 years older than me. So she was around the time of all the good sort of um, like the classic rock bands. So she sort of went to Donington and went to Monsters of Rock and all that kind of stuff. So all the good music from the 70s and 80s, which I missed because I was born in 1980. And she was kind of a teenager. So she got me into that, the sort of classic rock that I missed out on. So for me it was kind of like a bit of an education like catching up on all the stuff I'd missed and I didn't realize what good music it was um and then obviously started going to gigs um and seeing the the amount of great bands there are now um and some of them are emulating the older classic rock bands but some of them are doing new things um so yeah but I think for me it was probably that initial thing was probably Britpop for me I uh I, I'm from a big musical fan family it's it's not necessarily a musical family but they are all fans of music my dad was very much sort of the 70s uh black sabbath deep purple acdc that era but then he was also big into new wave of british heavy metal so i made judas priest and then latterly the sort of bay area thrash metal of megadeth and metallica so i had a real strong grounding in in heavy rock and metal but then my mother was very much sort of she liked a lighthouse family and she liked uh stevie wonder eric clapton far more sort of accessible blues and 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 other things of that nature so i ended up sitting somewhere in the middle of my first sort of musical memory where i went music is life music is wonderful it's queen and my mother was a huge is is a huge fan of Queen, and it kind of sits between her sort of R and B blues stuff and my dad's metal stuff, and I can appreciate both sides of it. But Queen sat slap bang in the middle, the pageantry, the big over the top, the silliness. It was just super. I really really latched on to that, and then lat- latterly for me, more recently for me, the the younger smaller up-and-coming bands that we got in britain a few years ago it was a band called massive wagons for me here where i'd sort of been aware of them but i'd never really gone to find new music i'd always just sort of accepted rock that people had shown me so it was always bigger bands and then i kind of stumbled across massive wagons when they were doing the welcome to the world album and when that sort of resonated with me, I thought, actually, this is just brilliant. I need to see these. These are going to be excellent. Went to see them. I just thought, no, you know what? I need to get into this properly. I need to do a radio show. I need to throw myself at it a bit more wholeheartedly because this is proof that there is such quality music just below the surface that is actually really easy to find, 
if it can be bothered taking five minutes to listen to a new track. That's interesting. When you guys are obviously passionate about music or you wouldn't do what you do, right? I mean, that, that there has to be a passion for it. When you go through your journey in rock music, right? Everybody, every rock band has that journey. Um, and, you know, sometimes you, you, you're far away from it. You kind of go off and you start listening to maybe some other things, but you, you always come back to it because you, you grew up with it, right? I mean, you, and you started to listen to that stuff and, um, it's, it's a very important kind of a, of a, of a time portal in your life because it always reminds you of things from when you were younger and it, it, it's more or less like a time machine. You know, a lot of the stuff that you used to listen to when you were younger. But throughout all that, that passion develops, right? And, and that passion, like I do this podcast because I have a passion about talking about music. I have a passion about doing new music spotlights, you know, for, for new bands. And, you know, e- even though we, we, we do different things, our passion is the same. Was that passion born for you? Matt, when you saw Massive Wagons, when you said, I, I need to give more back to the music industry and these young bands, that, what they're doing? Prior to that, I had been a huge music fan. As a kid, like I say, Queen, Brian May, Brian May was just like on a, on a plat, on a, what's, on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. He was just like the zenith of musicality with Brian May. So I was hugely into music love rock music, want to play guitar, started learning to play guitar at about eight years old. I thought the world of it, but it was very much whatever I was spoon fed. So when my dad was listening to stuff, oh, that's brilliant. What's that? I want that. When my brother's finding me out music, what's that? I want that. When Avenged Sevenfold started getting big, sort of major label, big exposure. Oh yeah, listen to that because that's cool. And then actually when I'd heard Massive Wagons, it sparked it in me because you know that sort of stereotypical thing with hipsters where they like something until it's popular and oh you, you, i like this band but you'll not know them yeah because it's too yeah it was a bit like that to my shame there was a little bit of that where i thought this band are amazing and i feel a little bit of <laughs> i know a band that other people don't but also i thought but other people should know this band i mean come on this band are amazing not just massive wagons i mean there's been various bands that i've thought it of and that's kind of the, the, the extra bit that it ignited in me where I thought, yeah, this, this needs a bit more of a push. And if I can do it, then great. What about you, George? Uh, I think just hearing what Matt was saying, it's just it made me think of when I was younger in school and stuff, we'd have, we'd have, we'd have tape players. So you could tape things off the radio. Um, and I was always the, one of the guys that would be like, oh, I'll, I'll take this, listen to this. I was always sharing, just thinking back, I was always sharing music. So even like amongst my, my brother and my sisters, or if I'd found, found a new band, I'd be like, oh, listen to this. Or I'd lend people um, CDs and never get them back. But I would be, I'd always be sharing because I wanted other people to hear what I was hearing. Um, so I kind of, it probably goes back to then. I think most people do that, I guess. But yeah, for me, it was, it was always sharing what i'd found because i thought that other people should enjoy it as well and a lot of the bands that i've seen live so i've seen like a lot of the bands that are supporting the the act i'm going to see at gigs have like blown me away and then i've been you know i need to tell everyone about this band these celebrities about you know so i'm going on facebook and sharing it and telling everyone and 
it, you just want them you just want to tell other people how good the music is or when people are um when people tell you how good a band is and they're like a huge band and and you think well i need to tell you about because you like you like this band that are big but there's about 100 bands that you would probably like that you've never heard of and you you kind of want people to to get into the good stuff um, and when a lot of people like you work with that stuff and oh i love led zeppelin or i love acdc or i love you know all these bands that people know you kind of want to say oh, well check out um burnt out wreck they're just like acdc but they won't it's almost like they don't want to do it it's, it's weird it's frustrating but you kind of you can only get you can only push them so far and then they've got to do the rest of the self thing yeah it's 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 kind of confusing for me when you hear fans of zeppelin and acdc and all these great legacy bands right we all we all love them all three of us love those bands right and it's almost like they don't allow themselves to listen to anything else which is which is the whole which defeats the whole purpose of music music is about discovery it's about connecting with music and if you stay connected with something that was released 50 years ago, 40, 30, 20 years ago, that's great that you can do that, right? I mean, that's a great band and great music and great songs. But I often use this analogy uh, when I'm talking to people about supporting new rock. You know, if you're a, if you're a Yankee fan, you know, the Yankee fans are, are, are a baseball team here in America. We could even use Manchester United. If you're fans of these sports teams, right, and players get traded, Players retire, players get injured and, and they can't play anymore. There's new players that come in. You don't stop being a fan of those teams because, you know, the, your favorite player on the soccer team or your favorite player on the baseball team is no longer playing. You still continue to be a fan, yet you build up an appreciation for what these new players are doing. And it's the same thing with rock and roll. Led Zeppelin is never going to be replaced. ACDC is never going to be replaced. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a passion about this new rock. And and I even yeah. go, you can still love these new bands. And I even go as far as to say these, these new bands are just as good as the Led Zeppelins and the ACDCs. And what's the difference? People kind of scoff at that when I say, well, the difference is, is that they're not put up on a pedestal yet because for whatever reason, people stop listening to rock after the mid nineties or they can't, they completely shun these bands. You always hear new rock sucks. And whenever I hear that, it tells me that that person's not listening. You know, you're not listening to these bands, whether it's bands in the UK like Massive Wagons or Those Damn Crows or Mason Hill or bands in America like like uh, Dirty Honey or you know Mammoth or some of these other new bands that are coming up. There's so much new great music, and these bands are incredibly talented. That you know, it's a it's a shame that people will not listen to them just because they're 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 new over the past few years there's a conversation we had a while ago a different group of people but kind of alludes to what you're saying because we'd touched on the idea of what might be the next musical fad the next musical movement and we're saying you know the 60s there was the beginnings of of heavier rock there's a psychedelia then the 70s there was heavy rock in the 80s there was the thrash metal the shoulder pads the glam rock the 90s it all went wrong and it all went grungy and big pageantry rock was lost and you know the, there's all the different trends and we say well, what's going to be next and kind of the conclusion we got to was it also alludes to why there's not going to be a new led zeppelin 
that's the biggest band in the world because there is so much music produced by so many different bands in so many different levels of professionalism that's worth listening to but also they i don't know how to put it now but they they they're getting swamped by so much music, which is a homologation of so many different genres that there's not going to be the purest form of one genre coming through in the twenties decade. And we're going to say, right, this decade is the punk decade. It's not going to happen because there's so many different genres. Everybody's listening to a bit of everything. It's not as though you're only going to go and listen to, you know, this is the era of disco. It's not going to happen in rock music now, is it? It's, just a lot to digest. And if you want to digest it, great, go and do it. You're going to find something you love. Is it, is it the lack of physical connection to music that rock relies on so much, right? We always remember buying the vinyl and the CDs and all that stuff and and just getting lost in that new album that we bought on a Friday and that whole, that album would babysit us basically for the whole weekend, you know, we'd read the liner notes, the lyrics, we'd, we'd go over every inch of the cover. Uh, and we'd be, you know, we would try to connect with the songs. That's very hard to do these days, you know, because everything is point click and download. It basically comes from thin air. Um, I know vinyl is, is emerging again as a, well, I mean, I can't say emerging. It is uh, a very, uh, impactful way bands make money and how bands, you know, sell merch. Um, but is that, is that part of the reason maybe why rock and roll struggles is because there's a different way, especially the young people who really need to connect with rock are absorbing it. I, th- I think for me with, with rock, there's no, although now we've got, especially in the UK, we've got like Brexit and, you know, we got coronavirus and all these, you know, and I guess in and in the US, you probably had like the the Trump supporters and the you know the the Republicans and the Democrats. You know, everyone's kind of um, angst ridden, I suppose. You know, everyone's sort of fighting in a different group. Everyone's kind of segregated, and that kind of harps back to when you know, like in the seventies and the eighties, like over here we had like the poll tax riots and things like that, which sort of sparked the whole punk movement where everyone was like, sort of the youth was like rising up and rebelling and i think maybe the, i think now that that's more prevalent there's a lot of discord going on i think they i think young kids need some sort of outlet but whether that's rock i don't know i think with rock it was always kind of that stick it to the man attitude that kind of we're not going to take it and i think now with society in general it's very very sort of safe like no one you know everyone's scared to say something wrong in case they get um you know sort of I had to go out on Twitter or on social media, everything seems to be on social media. And I don't think there's anyone really sort of standing out to be um, different enough to, you know, we had, you know, Lady Gaga was very different when she came out and everyone latched onto that. There's not really anyone in rock. There's not, there's no Freddie Mercury. There's no Elton John anymore. There's everything's quite safe and stale. There's no sort of standout act. I think that could kind of spark, the interest back in rock but i think as matt said i think it is just there's so much of it and it's so saturated and there's so much on on spotify now um i think it is that you can just you can literally just click and download the music you don't even need to see i remember getting magazines and seeing the band members and um 
you know, seeing what they look like and thinking, oh, I want to look, I want to look like that, or I want to be like them, or I want to wear what they're wearing. But now they're, they're just almost, and especially with MTV as well, you had it on television, you could see them on television. Now they're almost kind of invisible entities. That like, there's bands that I really like, but I have no idea what they look like. I have no idea what the videos are like. I just listen to them on Spotify. Um, and I think there's a lack of uh, the personality. I think with with a lot of bands, there's not there's not unless you go to a gig, unless you get a magazine, or um, you know you see their videos. I don't think you kind of connect with them as much as as you used to. I actually disagree with George <laughs> in a, in a sense because you, the the podcast listeners won't be able to see but George is wearing an ERB shirt which says rock is dead long live rock and that kind of is is what I'm going to say because there's been so much there's been so much fantastic rock and there is so much more fan, you know the queen is dead long live the queen there's a new queen there's more and the same with that message on the t-shirt. There is so much rot there. It's just below the surface. It's just having the time sometimes to invest in it, to, to, to listen to it and find the new Freddie Mercury or give the exposure to the band, which one person can't do. But the chances of that cream rising to the top are so slim now. But when Jay, you were saying about, uh, the, the, not the exposure, the, the oversaturation or the, uh, buying of the physical copies of cds or vinyls i know when i was a kid there was a shop in britain called music zone and they used to have really cheap cds it was great and i used to save up as a kid to buy myself a cd and when you buy that one cd like you say it used to be a whole weekend it used to just immerse yourself in it for ages because if nothing else you couldn't afford another one then i remember one christmas i got given vouchers for music zone and he ended up with about 15 20 pounds of the vouchers so i went straight to music zone and bought about five or six cds which then i didn't listen to very well because i had five or six cds and i was excited to listen to them so i put one in listen to a bit skip the track listen to a bit skip the track listen to a bit skip the track next cd do the same again and i'm not absorbed them to the same capacity as what i would have done if i bought them one at a time one week at a time and I think with streaming, as fantastic as it is, you get locked into a little safe area because of the algorithms. You like this band, so you'll like this band. You don't get out of your comfort zone that way. But also, there's so much there, there's not a cat and else chance that you're going to be able to listen to everything, even if you wanted to. So there's there's an oversaturation, so the real cream of the crop can't rise. And I think there's also still the stigmatism, again, like with the T-shirt, accepting rock is dead, long live rock. Rock has an old-fashioned stigma to it, and it doesn't necessarily deserve it because you look at some of the young bands, some of the new bands, they're reinventing, they're creative, they're exciting, they're opinionated, they're reinventing things that haven't been reinvented for decades. But you've got to find it. And if if people have that mental block where it's like, oh, it's the classic whatever it is. Oh, it's the old version of whatever. Oh, it's rock from the 70s. They're not going to get through that initial barrier. I agree somewhat. You know, you, you think of, I, I agree with both your points to a certain extent, actually. You know, I, I do think that there's so much music out there, right? There's so much rock music out there that it can be overwhelming, right? It can be, you know, if someone's going on and trying to find new rock, 
they can find it, right? I think it's overwhelming because there's so many platforms to find it. Um, and I think too, there's so many bands, like where do you begin? So I do think there is an element of that. I also think that music has become more of a background thing. You go into a store, you know, you go to a sporting event, they have music on in the background and it's great that it does that. But over time, you start to lack the an appreciation for what it is you're hearing because there's, it's not special anymore. You know, it's not like it's this, this special thing, you know, to, to, you know, George's point, I remember being in Catholic school and grade school, you know, and I remember when lunch would happen, we would get our Walkmans out and we get our tapes out and we would just start trading tapes and listening and we'd make each other, you know, tapes on the, on, you know, on the Memorex blank tapes or whatever it was. Um, and then we'd make tapes for our friends of bands that we were listening to or albums that we were, we were getting. So there, it was like a community back then, right? It was very communal with, with, you know, if, if your friends were listening to it, you had to listen to it. And now I think it's, it's really fragmented. I do think that is changing though. Um, you know, I do think, you know, with, with, um, with what George said is that, you know, I, I, I don't know if it was, I, th- I think it was you, Matt, that said like these decades had these movements, right? And I think with the angst that a lot of young people are feeling because of what's been happening in the world, you know, whether it's the, you know, the partisanship that exists everywhere, every corner of the globe, you know, the, the infighting over politics, whether it's, I mean, just looking at the fighting over getting a vaccine, you know, if everything is an issue, everything is, is, uh, is kind of a pain in the ass. Um, but when you're a young kid, cause I have a 16 year old home and I talk about them all the time, you need something different. And if you went into that pandemic, listening to hip hop and pop music, you know, when you're e-learning from home every day, because you have this going on and everything is basically like repeat, rinse and repeat. After a while, you need something different. And I think a lot of young people are starting to turn to rock music because it does satisfy that anger that they have or that angst or that frustration because it's loud guitars, it's loud vocals, it's big hooks, it's, it's got everything you need. It's, it, and what I don't get about the new rock star is we talk about playing it safe. And I, and I agree 100%. Nobody wants to get canceled during this day and age. But at the same time, you look at hip hop artists who are embracing the rock and roll lifestyle and they don't worry about it. And I, and I wonder why a lot of young rock bands do play it safe. Um, and I, 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 well, I shouldn't say, I don't know why I do understand, but I also wish that they would embrace more of a, you know, I don't want them to be controversial just to be controversial because it has to be authentic. But, you know, if something's on their mind and they want to say it, say it. They should they should say it without feeling any fear of retribution. There was one word you said in there and, and more than anything you said, I thought, yeah, that's the overarching thing from your point then. And I agree with you. It was community. And when you say about the, the sort of, uh, the angst that some people have, like the bands have, and the the playing it safe. Sometimes at the minute, and George, I'll be curious to know what you think. There is such a sense of 
community in the rock scene that when you're on the outside of it, it can look a bit clicky, a bit sort of click, click, click. You're not in the group. You're not in the group at all. But actually when you're in it, it's really supportive. It's really open. It's lovely. And also, so when I was going to big arena gigs as a kid, because that was a music I liked, you go in, you don't really feel part of a group as such. There's some people in the same t-shirts, but there's 20,000 people there. And you think, okay, I'm here. I've seen the band have left. Then you go to a 600 people gig and you go in, the support band are great. They come to the bar to sit and have a chat with people and watch the main event. The main event are on. You think this is amazing. I'm two rows back from them. Then afterwards, they come out from and sign autographs and you go, wow, I'm part of something. And then when you're kind of in that circle, and it's not like a close circle of 10 people in the band. I'm in the close circle of 10,000 fans on Facebook and the band. All of a sudden, some of the bands actually have quite strong opinions and are quite, uh, not the rock and roll lifestyle, but they're willing to give a bit of fight because they're in their community. And I think there is a danger, like you say, about the cancellation of things. If you spout that in public, you risk jeopardising everything you've built so far which is a horrible position to be yeah. in when you're, you're, you're biting your tongue about things that really there's no reason you can't talk about apart from a bit of fear for yourself. Yeah, I'd agree. I think with, with ERB, with the, the magazine, I was always conscious to stay away from any anything negative, any kind of, because obviously with the community, there's always going to be little pockets of arguments going on, which there always is. And I was always worried about straying into those like sharing something on facebook that might cause controversy or you know getting the brand into disrepute so i'm, I'm quite um conscious to stay out of anything that could this be... is coming from the man just to point out this is coming from the man that is now serving his second ban on facebook in the last month this is true <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about that we won't talk about that <laughs> um yeah that was on my own facebook though that wasn't on the erb one <laughs> but um but yeah, I don't. I don't want to bring. I don't mind bringing myself into disrepute, but not the brand because that's more people involved. But um, yeah, I think that's the trouble. That you're a bit worried about causing a bit of controversy. But like Matt was saying with the community thing, I I'm quite. I'm not a shy person, but I'm not um, sort of extroverted. So if I if I go to a gig, I'm not the kind of person who would be, you know, mingling with everyone and chatting and all that kind of stuff. I kind of keep myself to myself and enjoy the music and talk to people I know I don't I don't generally like meet new people if someone introduces themselves to me I'll chat but um going to there's a, a, a radio station over here called Planet Rock um and they put on an event well they put on two events a year or well, lot of events a year actually but uh, they do one called Rockstock which is in like a like a holiday camp <clears throat> where you can stay on site so you go to the the gigs and then you can kind of just stagger back to your caravan and sleep and go back again the next day. Um, and all the bands there stay as well. So you're in this kind of um, weird bubble sort of holiday camp. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're there with all these bands. So you're, you could be in a caravan next to this band that you love. And you, know, you can come out, say good morning to them, all that kind of stuff. So that was, for me, that was probably my first taste of the community kind of thing that Matt was talking about, where you get to talk to all these different people and, you get to know them, you go back year after year, you get to know them, they become family. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I haven't met many people at all that aren't really like friendly. And I think Rock's got this 
kind of stigma of everyone being a bit like you know aggressive and unapproachable but everyone's lovely you know you've got you've got little kids coming with their parents that are like and they're like eight or nine and they're they're coming in their like battle jackets and then you've got sort of people that are in their 70s and uh, we were at a, um, a festival called stone dead and we were selling the magazine and a guy come over and he must have been in his 70s and he went have you got any metal in that magazine and he was a proper metal head and he you know he wanted to find some new metal bands which is really good but you know it kind of I don't think there's many genres that kind of span the entire spectrum of ages, which is really good. Which is great when you're in that that group because it encourages you to to be part of the group when you're there and there's people talking to you and the bands are there and the fans are wanting to be part of the group. It just nurtures that that sort of sharing atmosphere. ERB is great because what I've found there are lots of like-minded people. And it's also highlighted how many uh, self-absorbed people there are in the music industry, how many selfish people there are, how many people that just want the business. But equally, it's shown me just how many like-minded people there are that will selflessly work hour after hour after hour to promote bands they have nothing to do with. Mm. I've often said that people that love rock music are dedicated rock fans, right? They're fans. Like, they want everything they can get their hands on, right? They're It's in their blood. And from the time you're 10 years old to the time you're 50, you are a rock fan. Where I think pop music and hip hop, those are music consumers, where they're just consuming music and they go with what's ever popular. And, it, you know, they're, they know all the hits from the bands that they like. They don't, they don't know any of the deep cuts. They don't know any of like, you know, the first album that no one really knows about. They don't know any of that stuff, right? Where rock fans, once you dive in, like you're, you're up to here in, in the water, right? Like you're, 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 you're in the deep end. You want everything you can about, a, you know, a band that you love, uh, um, an artist that is emerging. You know, I think of, man, I, I think of like, you know, bands like Dirty Honey or bands like Joyous Wolf that are emerging here in America. Like they've got EPs, um, that were never put out. You can only get them at shows. So I go to the show, of course, to the band, but my, my, my motivation is to get that physical copy. I need that physical copy. So it's just a, I think it's just a different outlook of how a rock fan not only absorbs music, but how they just, it, it becomes part of their life. It's part of their soul. You know, I mean, you guys are a prime example of the magazine that you guys put out. I mean, I don't see anyone, I don't know of anyone that is so passionate about pop music that wants to put out a pop music magazine or start a pop music magazine. I don't know. I I don't know if that even exists, you know, so there might be blogs or whatever, but I I just have never met a pop music fan or, you know, a hip hop fan that is as equally passionate about the community and the music that rock fans enjoy and love. And you know what? Because of that love and, and passion that they have, now, in theory, we're coming out of COVID, which I know we're not because this Omicron's going wild yeah, in Britain. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're talking hypotheticals and we'll say that everything's getting better. Um, when gigs started happening again in Britain, if you were to go to a massive, massive arena gig, I would feel unsafe because yes. there's lots of people that don't necessarily care they're going singing a band because it's a band they might have liked at one point and they're doing a big arena gig or whatever it is. It's just a high exposure gig. 
so they're going to see it. Whereas if you're going to a 600 people venue to see a band that might be local or doesn't tour very often, everybody there has fought for that ticket because they really want to go to support the band that they might know, they might be friends with, they might not have seen for ages because of whatever reason, COVID, X, Y, and Z, whatever. But because of that, they've all taken a test. They're all following the rules. They'll do whatever it takes to make sure the gigs keep happening. And as much as the arts industry has been hit by COVID, I actually think it's not for lack of willingness from the arts community to step up and do their bit because the community around the arts is willing to do it. And and the rock gig crowds are testament to that. As far as the magazine goes, talk about your beginnings. How did this all start? How did the, how did that passion for music relate to starting this? So George had an idea. <laughs> I had a, had a really stupid idea. Well, it started off EOB was originally, I think it was started during the pandemic, the first sort of few weeks into it. I think it may have even been before that. Um, but I had nothing to do with it. It was uh, a few people that thought, why don't we have a Facebook group? And all they do is share um, Spotify links and YouTube links to new music. Um, and that would be all that would go on there. So it would cut out all the, you know, all the kind of, you know, there's plenty of stuff out there to about music, but it was purely just the the actual tracks that were being shared or the videos. And it seemed to go down really well. At one point we had about 3,000 odd um, followers on Facebook and um one one um weekend it was it was just taken down by one of the admins but we don't, we still don't know the reason why it was just taken down um they had a bit of a bit of a an evening i suppose and then we woke up in the morning with everyone saying where's the group where's the group so um everyone was kind of scrambling around and then uh, my wife was involved with it and she was going oh, i can't believe the group's gone someone's deleted the group so I said, we'll set it up again. And then I think because the group was deleted, I managed to get the same name again. So I just set it up again. Um, and then we started inviting people back to the group. But most people didn't even realise the group had gone down. Um, so that was the first kind of time I got involved with it. And that was literally just setting the group back up again. Um, but when I realised how many people were in the group, I didn't, you know, I didn't even, I was kind of staying away from the sort of social media stuff. I was, it was too much really for me. Um and yeah, all these people were like, Oh, we love the group. We can't, you know, we can't believe it's gone. We want it, we want it back. And when I realized there was a, a passion for it, I was kind of more involved with it. So I started um, getting involved with it a bit more. And then later on, um, we started setting up the radio and my wife said, can you do us a, a logo? Cause I'm, I'm a designer. So she said, can you do us a logo for the radio station? And I said, what, what radio station? Like, and she said, Oh, we're doing an ERB radio station. And I went, oh, I didn't know you were doing that. And it was set up by a guy called Simon approached us and said, you know, he'd like to do a couple of shows and promote it as ERB. And then that's grown on its own as well with Matt, Matt come on board and um, we started doing more shows and a lot of us got involved with that side of it. Um, and then I thought, well, if we're doing a radio station, we might as well do a magazine as well. And uh, I think the radio station was set up as erbradio.online rather than emerging rock bands. So we thought it was a good time to rebrand as ERB. So I redid the logo and we sort of relaunched. Um, and yeah, we kind of had a, a Zoom meeting and I said, well, why don't we do a, 
a magazine as well, like a printed magazine. And everyone was like, well, how are we going to do that? And I'd already planned it. I had like a presentation that I showed them. And I had some uh, mock-up pages and some ideas for articles. And I kind of costed it all out. And I said, if we if we charge people in advance, you know, we say this is what's going to be in there. Um, you pre-order it. So we know how many copies to print and how much money it's going to make. Um, and then worked out all our costings beho- beforehand. Then it would be feasible because a lot of people were saying, you know, there's no money in it. You can't afford to do it. Um, but I worked out as long as we covered our printing costs, and I, and I did all the design for free and a lot of, uh, a lot of volunteers do the writing. Um, a lot of photographers submit their pictures. We could potentially put it together. So we thought we'd sell about 100, 200 copies. And then we launched it and it went mental. We had to do a reprint in the end. Um, and everyone was like, this is such a good idea. We've missed magazines. And there was this whole thing about the smell of it. When people got it, they were like, I can't believe how good it smells. Like Everyone was taking pictures of themselves smelling the pages. And it was a bit <laughs> weird, but I kind of get what they mean. It's that nostalgia thing, I think. So that's how it really started. Um, and then we kind of made a rod for our own back because people were, like loved it so much. We had to do it more and more. And we up, we increased the pages, um, we increased the features, we um, we were getting sales across different countries. Um, you know, it kind of went mad. We we weren't, you know, the website wasn't even set up for international orders because we didn't think anyone outside the UK would be bothered. So I think the first issue, we were selling the magazine at a loss because people, we had to pay the postage to America and um, France and all these other places and we were in charge in like UK postage. So we had to sort that out. So we, we kind of learned as we went, really. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the start of it. And it was just that um, we we realised that the people want, wanted that. There was there was no other outlet for it. I think all the bigger magazines, like Classic Rock Magazine and Planet Rock Magazine, were still focused on bands like Kiss and ACDC and White Snake and bands that, were, you know, a lot of the bands they were featuring, you know, they've been dead and gone. You know, they were still resurrecting all their old stories and things like that so there was nothing with new bands in so we want to fill that gap really and every now and again you know there's been so and this is completely unprofessional but every now and again there's been a message sent on the group chat we have a group chat like every other group uh where we just talk rubbish and and bitch and gripe and tell silly stories and there'll be a photo sent round of various different magazines and the front covers they've got and the fact that it's bands from eons back, which are great bands. There's no question that, you know, fantastic bands sold more records than you could possibly conceive of. But as good as Led Zeppelin are, they're from 30 years, sorry, 50 years ago. Yeah. Which is fine. That's, that's great. But I want something more recent on the front cover. You know, and uh, there's been that message going around every now and again. And then now when there's festivals in Britain, every now and again, they'll have the, the, the bill for, for what's coming up at the festival. And we look through and we go, apart from the two headline acts for the two days, the rest of it reads like a contents page for ERB magazine. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, you know, it's easy to get sucked into having a magazine or a publication to have those faces of yesteryear on that cover, because you know, the fans are going to buy it. You know, fans are going to subscribe to it because you know, there's, they have huge fan bases, right? I mean, so it's easy to do that. That's like low hanging fruit. Um, It's much more of a challenge to do what you guys do uh, and promote the new rock music. 
You know, I mean, I do legacy artist interviews on here, um, basically to try and bring people in to, you know, to kind of find a home and say, oh, what's this new rock band and whatever. But, you know, my focus is always on new music. I mean, I've done, gosh, over a hundred new music spotlights in two and a half years, you know, of new bands. Plus we always talk about album reviews, quarterly album reviews, where, you know, if we do a top 25, the vast majority of those albums will be new bands that are not getting, that are not having anything written about them in spin magazine or Rolling Stone or whatever magazine that you want to want to talk about. So, you know, it, it is, it is a challenge to keep that going, you know, because, you know, promoting new rock, let's face it, you know, is, is, is not going to make you rich. <laughs> it's not going to, you know, and, and, but, but, Wait, I George also, promised me it would. He promised me loads of money. <laughs> Did it make me? But, <laughs> but also at the same time, it goes to that passion, right? That passion that you build up and have for new music and for rock music is fulfilled by when you guys are doing something like this, right? You can't, I mean, that's the currency, I believe, you know, for myself, for you guys is, you know, seeing people maybe find a band for the first time or discover a band for the first time. And, and I've never been one to take credit like, oh, I was the first one to post about this and let, let, let people do that if that makes them happy to do that. But I'm always about sharing. And it goes back to that cafeteria when you're in grade school and you're sharing tapes with your friends. No one cares at that table who discovered what. It's all about that community. It's all about you know, who cares about the credit, you know, where the credit is given. Let's just get as many ears for those bands to listen. And hopefully if one band makes it up, other bands then will follow. I mean, that's what people say about Greta Van Fleet a lot. You know, whether you like them or not, they are a band that is really leading that charge for other bands to rise up as well. So, you know, I, I do feel that, yes, you know, the passion that we have for rock music and new rock makes us want to do these things, right? Without even thinking about, you know, revenue or, 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 or whatever. It's, it's about the music. It solely is about the music. And it's, it, it is fulfilling when I interview a new great band and people connect with it because that's what it's all about. It's, yeah. What you were saying there about the, the currency and things as well. That's, that's resonated because. We none of us get paid. There's no yeah. no salaries. No one gets anything. Um, we kind of get paid in, like you say, we get paid in like the praise. Like I got a message uh, this afternoon from someone who got today's the magazine out today, um, and they reposted it. So I sent them a message saying thanks for reposting it and thanks for all your support. Um, and they come back and said no, thank you. You know, you I found so many great new bands because of your magazine that nobody else is featuring, and I've got you know I've got so much more bands to enjoy now and that that's kind of why we do it and every time we see a tweet or a, a post on facebook um you know there's been posts where people have said uh, what they, what they say something like um oh no you know erb's out again i better get my uh get my wallet ready because last time they they bought a load of merch from a band or they bought loads of music and that's exactly what we we want to do and i think like you were saying we've taken a, a risk on different you know who we feature uh, it's really, it's a bit of a, it's sometimes tricky to to think, should we put someone on that's well-known to sell more magazines, which will then promote the other bands in the magazine? Or do we put on the cover a really good band that we really 
the champion in that nobody might have heard of and people may not buy the magazine but it gives that band the exposure um, so we put on i think it was issue five we put a band called Etherfield on from the uk um great band and yeah they're, they're, so they're a great band and we uh this about this time last year we had a christmas party over zoom because no one was allowed out everyone's in lockdown there they are <laughs> <laughs> matt's got them all there so yeah so we had a christmas party online so we thought you know like an office christmas party everyone's office christmas party was cancelled what can we do to sort of give someone that that boost again and make it festive so we asked a load of the emerging bands to do a christmas cover and um submit one of their own songs um and then come on this zoom with us so we had i think it kind of fluctuated but i think we had about 90 odd people on there at one point and we invited all the bands on so um we sold tickets for that and then we donated the money from the tickets to the music venue trust which is a charity over in that trying to keep small venues alive um i think we made 667 pounds for that so we were gutted because we wanted to make 666 um so we're just one pound over um yeah but they all come on and we had some eight christmas covers and then etherfield um did a 20 minute acoustic set in their in the in their bedroom at home and we played that and we could see on, you know, where you have the grid view on Spotify, um, Spotify on Zoom, we could see everyone just went quiet. Everyone was quiet. They were watching. They were, they were, you could, yeah, everyone with their eyes open and good impression, Matt. Um, yeah, they were just like jaw, the jaws dropped. They were all like, who the hell were this band? They're amazing. And that's when we realized that we, yeah, we, cause they're quite a local band to us in Devon. We thought everyone knew about them, but. All those people on there were like, I've never heard of them before. They're amazing. So we decided to put them on the cover when they brought out their new album. Um, and I think, you know, I don't want to take any credit for what they're doing now. But if that, if by putting them on the album, uh, putting them on the cover of the magazine, sold more albums or whether it got them uh, slots on tours or, you know, whether it got the notice, whatever, in any small way that we helped that band progress, it it was worth it and that's i think the kind of the essence of what we're trying to do so we just want the bands that deserve recognition to get that extra step on the ladder and we do whatever we can to to give a leg up really but then you know what with that you say about uh do we put a slightly bigger band on the front cover to sell more magazines no we'll put Etherfield on whatever else i found so i do a radio show as well on erb radio and when we do the radio shows, we generally post on Facebook and tag up and all the other social medias, tag all the bands in it. And before now, there's been shows where I've gone, oh, I'll play a, a slightly bigger band, not a massive band, but a bigger band. They don't interact. They don't like, they don't comment, they don't share. Their grandma Maud doesn't get involved. Granny doesn't like the post and, you know, she doesn't care because they're already successful. Whereas if you get a load of bands that are up and coming and really fantastic, that they've got a circle of friends following them, not a big circle of friends, but they're all invested in that band, then you can guarantee Great Auntie Mildred's going to be there liking the post. There's going to be all their friends. They're going to share it because they're stoked that they're in the magazine, they're on the radio, they're doing whatever they're doing. So it's self-serving in some senses, but if a band that's smaller gets in the magazine goes on the front cover gets in the radio they're going to pull out all the stops to make sure other people know it and we appreciate that 
and they appreciate the fact they're in the magazine because in theory that's more exposure for them so everyone's a winner no one pays to go in the magazine as an article there's a big argument every two months to work out who's going in the magazine but no one pays for an article it's on merit and the same with the front cover and it's the same with the radio there's there's no uh, there's no hidden agenda so i think it's quite honest if something goes in a show or in the magazine it's because we really bloody like it so then it is worth shouting about yeah no I, I, we're on the same page there i mean i i have these yeah, bands on new music spotlights you know to help them you know because they don't really get a lot of interviews um, and I, and, and I don't like, really like to do fluff interviews. I mean, the interviews, I, I'd like to think at least that, you know, we're really engaging them in a great conversation so they can put it on their social media. You know, like you guys, you know, we never charge a band to be on the new music spotlight. You know, we never do that because these bands need all the money they can get to, um, to promote themselves, to get on tours and all that stuff, especially after COVID, you know, when these bands were not making any money whatsoever. So that's important. And it's important to have voices that are willing to, to help these bands be a part of the new rock scene, the emerging rock scene, because a lot of them I'm sure have had thoughts in their head, especially during the pandemic, you know, is it worth it? You know, I mean, I'm sure those conversations are, 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 are happening, but I appreciate these new young bands because they are out there. They're they're doing it like like you want a rock band to do it, right? Playing the small clubs, right? Getting out after concerts and shaking hands and signing autographs and doing all those things. Like, how do you not want to support those bands that do that? That are not just looking for you know a handout, so to speak. They're they're they're. I mean, they're pounding the pavement. They're you know they're they're doing it the right way. And you know, we can talk about those bands that play arenas and stadiums and, and those bands are fantastic, right? We all love those bands, but they're not going to struggle for their next meal. They're not going to struggle to pay their rent. You know, they're not, they're not going to struggle during a pandemic, you know, Metallica and Iron Maiden are not worrying about money during a pandemic. They're just not. So, you know, when I, when I see a new band come on that I like, and then I'm passionate about for me, it's easy to showcase them because I like them. I mean, let, let's get some you know, ears on the band. And I'm sure it's the same thing for emerging rock bands. When you when you hear a band that you, wow, this band's really good. We got to do something on them. And that, that's that excitement that you cannot find when you're when you're excited about a new band that's coming on my podcast or excited about a new band you're writing about in, in a magazine. That passion keeps fueling the cause to keep things going, to have that excitement because you know, if it wasn't exciting, I wouldn't be doing this. And I'm sure same thing for you guys. Yeah, definitely. I I think... the... Sorry, Matt. Sorry, go on, George, after you. Well, I, I was just going to say with the whole, um, like you say, the the bands have got no money. You know, they're doing they're doing gigs for free. Some, you know, there's some places where they're actually paying to play, which I don't agree with. Yeah. Um, and when we started this, we, you know, we put out, uh, we put out a, a press kit to all the PR companies and, they were all coming back saying, how much is it? How much, you know, how much to be on the cover? How much to, to put in a feature? It was all about money. And I was like, hang on a minute. We, we're not charging any, anyone. And then we found out that people were paying like 700 pounds to go in a magazine. And, and I'm like, hang on a minute, how much do they get paid to do a gig? And then you find out some of them don't get paid. Some of them get paid, you know, they might get paid a hundred pounds for the gig between five people. And then they've still got to drive their van up the, you know, up the, up and down the country. 
um and, and, and so there was a band that i saw recently that on their way down the country to a gig they got pulled over by the police because they had too much weight in their van so they got fined 200 pounds and then the gig that they were going to was you know they didn't earn anything so they do all this and then they're expected to pay to promote themselves so i'm thinking well you're never going to get these young bands in the spotlight because they can't afford to pay to be in a spotlight so you're only going to get the bands that are you know paying their way and that's i think that's unfair so that's and quite often of... that's not from that's not money they've earned as being a band it's not a measure of how good they are as a band it's yeah. how well their coffers are filled prior to being a band yeah or how much they get from you know they might have a rich family or something and they might have a you know they might have some money there and that's great if they're good luck to them if they do and they're good but there's a lot of bands that feel that they can pay their way to success and i think that's not fair when you've got really good bands and that have got no money to do that um so that that was one of the driving forces for me um and with the prs you get you probably get the same jay with prs pestering you all the time said i'll oh, put this band in put this band in and suggesting bands that are either too big for our magazine or not relevant to our magazine at all or um you know so you you're constantly being asked to put people in the magazine so it, it does become difficult to sort through all the the sort of rubbish to get to the good stuff because you're getting fed it so much right um but yeah we've we found quite a lot of the pr companies we've found the ones that are very very pushy and the ones that are really nice and we kind of uh look after the ones that are really nice and the ones that are respectful and the ones that know the kind of bands we're interested in and then there's the other ones that are just here's the album i want you to play it and you know they're kind of forceful in their approach um and kind of they come across like they're doing you a favor um and they're kind of all now they get lowered down our priority list the more they push <laughs> basically i should know what their, their whole point of their job is but when you've got you know they're suggesting people that are uh, millionaires to go on the front cover of our little magazine it's a little bit frustrating <laughs> so. sincerity sells yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no i i've I I have to say I have a really good relationship with a lot of PR management companies and and yeah I mean I've experienced a little bit of that but um I always look at the the band you know you know is the band you know, is the band good you know do I like the band and you know it, but is someone being pushy you know I always try to like look at it like all right aside from who's sending me the email and representing them do I like what I'm hearing um, so I always try to keep it like that. Sometimes it's difficult. Um, but yeah, I, sometimes I do get, I do get, uh, you know, messages about bands that really are not a good fit for what we do. And I've, and I, in the beginning, I had some of those bands on and they just don't, they're not what I'm trying to accomplish, which is rock. And sometimes you get folk bands and bluegrass bands and, you know, they're good. I enjoy them, but I just don't think they're a good fit for what we do. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it, you know, I, I think when you deal with people like that, you are dealing with people that are faced with the same challenge we are, right? Promoting new rock. And, you know, if you're a PR person or a management company and you've got a new rock band, it can get frustrating at times that, you know, it's easy to have that multi-million dollar artist that you can just dangle in front of anybody and fill up slots and for interviews and, and do all that. But, 
you know, and then when you go to a band that's just emerging, it's a lot more, it's a lot more of a challenge. And you, you get to know the people that are willing to work hard and are passionate about it. Like we are. And the people that, you know, are just, are not in it for the right reasons. You know, um, that's the way I look at it. There was in answer to both of those points, your, your original point, uh, Jay, and then George, and then again, you again, Jay, there was a boxing promoter and I can't remember his name now, but a while ago he'd said, you cannot be a boxer unless you're hungry. If you're poor and hungry, you can be a boxer. As soon as you're rich, you're not motivated. And I'm paraphrasing, but that was the, in essence what he was Very saying. Very true. Yeah. And if you were to read an interview with a band and whatever band it is, it makes no odds, a big band or a rich band that was successful however many decades ago, they're quite often doing the interview. I don't know what it is. Maybe retirement fund maybe to stay relevant maybe because they've been hassled to do the interview maybe because the magazine wants to do or the radio whatever it is wants to bolster their numbers a bit but quite often i find it quite a dry interview it's a bit meh because it's a band that don't necessarily need to do it and they're talking about past events whereas we had a band in the first issue now i'm gonna name drop them because they deserve it in my opinion they're in the first issue they're called bad actress they're from scotland and they're quite far north in scotland uh inverness is quite a, a northern city in scotland but they are pretty much there they're a few miles from inverness but that's where they're from they're in the first issue and they have worked and worked and worked and they traveled i realize american geography is very different to british you have to travel in america to do gigs in different cities in britain you can do you know you can drive through three countries in britain in a day um but they they traveled miles they traveled genuinely a day to come to a festival near me where they weren't even playing just to come and say hello and try to do a bit of networking with prs and management and radio people that are at that festival and they're burning themselves out doing that but because they got that fight they're they're, they're hungry for the next meal in that sense and it makes it exciting talking to them and listening to them it's exciting because they got the drive it's brilliant Yeah, they, they were in issue one, weren't they? And then they've kind of, um, they won various competitions. Like, but um, they did competition called Winter Storm, where they had to go up against various other bands and then go through heats. So they had to play a different heat. But the prize was opening the festival and they come on and blew everyone away, didn't they? They come on. They were like, they run on stage. They were, you know, dressed up in like outrageous outfits, and yeah, they're really good. As far as the magazine goes, you know, I mean, you guys have been doing it for a while now, and you started kind of like as this, you know, um, this natural, authentic, organic progression. What is next for emerging rock bands? The magazine you know, is there? Is there things that you know? Because I'm always trying to. I don't like when, when, you know, I, I always try to look at different things, different approaches to do, do things, maybe different ways to access um, fans or find fans. How do you do that? Like what, what is next? What do you guys, are there any plans that you can share, um, you know, for, for the future of the magazine? I think one of the big things is uh, organizing it. So there's less sleepless nights near the deadlines. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the big things that we're sorting out. Um, yeah. Because, I work full time and 
it takes a lot of hours to do the magazine. Um, it takes a lot of hours organizing it and lining up the interviews and gathering the pictures and doing all that kind of admin work. And it takes a long time to to view them and try to transcribe the interviews and then write them up into, you know, we've got word counts, so we have to be mindful of how, how long the articles go. So it could be a really great interview and it goes on for two hours and we have to edit all that down and condense it into, you know, the page. That that can be frustrating for the writers, but I think it challenges them and they do a really good job of capturing the most important parts. So that takes a long time. And then when it comes to me and I have to design it all, um, that takes a really long time as well. And just and because we want to get it right, we want to make sure it's done properly. Uh, I don't like to cut corners. So there's certain certain pages I do, I spend two or three hours, maybe longer, just on doing one page. And then there's like 56 odd pages in the magazine because we don't fill it with adverts. We only have a very small amount of adverts. We, that was one of the things we said. We don't want another, we don't want the magazine just full of adverts after adverts. It's got to be very content heavy. So that's one of the things we want to streamline that process a bit so that it's not always last minute and it's not so daunting. And, you know, we've got some of the, what's the, I think some one night I didn't even go to sleep in the end. I think I maybe got 20 minutes sleep and then I had to go to work the next morning. Um, so we want to stop doing that and streamline it a bit more. And that just comes down to organization. But we're taking on, I think next year, one of the plans is to, uh, do a bit of a recruitment drive and try and take on some more writers because everyone's a volunteer. When we, when we started, we didn't really have any professional writers. We just had people that were passionate about music. So we kind of, I mean, my wife's a, a writer, writer and, a, and a proofreader. So she proofread and edited a lot of what people submitted and it's just got better and better. We've kind of taken on some proper music journalists and we've found a lot of people can actually have actually got a natural ability to write. So they're, they're doing more writing and we're trying to get the content better. So we're looking at taking on more um, journalistic type roles. Um, also, I think we're looking for more presenters. We, I think in 2022, I want to focus on the radio a bit more because that's um, where after COVID people have gone back to work and some of the shows have kind of dropped off because people can't always commit to a regular show. And that's, that's absolutely fine. But I think we want to make sure that we've got enough people to cover the whole week so we've got shows every week i like presented shows so it's not just the player so that's one of the things as well um and the other guys will kill me because i'm desperate to do a proper festival but i keep getting told to calm down because it's too much <laughs> it's too much work but i'm desperate to do a festival because i can just see you know I, I can see everyone that was on the cover of the magazine at a festival on the bill and i can just see and i, I could just picture it and I, I think it'd be a really good good night or good <laughs> good weekend if we get that far but obviously that all costs money so I, I know nothing about putting on festivals but that's one of the things that I really want to do um, and I think we should I think what we're hoping to do as well next year is we've got a YouTube channel I think we need to make more use of that so I'd quite like to get people that can do video interviews um, maybe like live um, you know go to gigs and interview people live at the gig um, maybe do sort of some curated shows maybe i'm not sure but to do a bit more on the youtube channel because we don't really use it to its full potential and i think we should um and yeah generally just push the brand i know we've got a lot of festivals booked next year that we're going to attend we've got our um we we put up quite a lot of money um so we, we do make a profit on the magazine but it all goes back into the 
to the magazine. So no one takes any money out of the magazine. It all stays in. So we had enough money there last year to do um, some promotional stuff. So we got a gazebo, uh, we got a table, we got loads of um, like promotional like banners and flags and all that kind of stuff to get people over. Um, so we've got to put that to good use next year, do a lot more festivals and try and just spread the word a bit more and get more people to know that we're here um, and what we do, really. So that's kind of the ne- next year's plan, just to keep pushing the ERB brand, I think. The daft thing is with, so, with next plans is, like George is saying, he, he's going to get a kick in the uh, in his nether regions at some point because he, <laughs> he, he's saying things that might not happen. But um, Lucy Dream. in the team... <laughs> Lucy and the team, I, I've decided there's the idiot wrangler because there's so many of us that have, you know, there's loads of enthusiasm, there's loads of headstrong people with lots of opinions and ideas, and most of it is pie in the sky at the minute, but it's there and th- there's no lack of drive and there's no lack of ideas. Manpower, time, and money, like everything else for everyone else, is is where the issues lie. Everyone's got a full-time job that they've gone back to now because COVID has, in theory, finished and it hasn't, but oh well. Um, so it's that where the sticking point is because, like George says, there's the YouTube. We'd love to be able to get... There's, there's ideas about colleges getting involved and videographers and all manner of things going there. There's the radio where there's X, Y, and Z we could do with the radio. There's the festival that we'd love to try and do at some point, whether it happens or not. The idiot wrangler Lucy will will sort us out at some point. But there are so many plans. It's just the feasibility of doing it. Yeah, but then at the same time, we thought that with a magazine and we made that happen. So that's that's why I always go back to, if you can dream it, you can make it happen. But yeah. But the idea, the ideas are what pushes you, right? Yeah, it's just making them happen. It's like, like Matt says, with the money and, you know, you can't just put on a festival. You need to have insurance, you need to have toilets, you need to have a backline, you need to have, you know, security and all that costs money. And it's not just, you know, you can't just make that happen. You've got to have some kind of knowledge and backing and financial stability there which at the moment we don't have we are doing um we have teamed up with um breaking bands they do a festival every year um and they've we're kind of sponsoring kind of joint sponsor i'm not sure if we're sponsoring it really we're kind of doing stuff with them um and we've got a stage we've got the emerging rock band stage so we've actually got a stage there so that would kind of be dipping our toe in the water of an event i suppose which is really good there's some really great bands on there that's great as we close here and we finish up, what, in your opinion, uh, you know, for both of you, what do you wish for right now for the emerging rock band scene? Like, what, what do you think really needs to happen uh, for these bands? What's your wish for these bands? I think streaming needs addressing. Spotify, YouTube, the royalties that get to the bands, that needs addressing urgently because you know you're not going to get much exposure without using those sites those outlets but you're also not going to get anything back apart from exposure venues are struggling so much with the restrictions and with the the state of play anyway with with people going out spending money so there needs to be it's this community aspect again there needs to be pressure on the the streaming sites to actually pay royalties properly there needs to be the community fighting for the venues, which they are, you know, they, they really are pushing for the venues because people want to go to gigs. And that's the thing that the outside of the community need to do 
instead of going, or not instead of, that sounds awful, but instead of going seeing Metallica that you've seen many times before that costs £87 a ticket to see in an arena where you're at the back of the arena and you can see a few dots on the stage, spend a fiver, spend a five or a tenner and go to a pub, a local club, a 600 seat venue and go and have a bloody awesome evening and get enthused and get driven by a band that's tangible and there and exciting and that, they'll appreciate it and buy some merch. They'll appreciate that even more. Um, I couldn't really put it any better than that. Really. I, I think I just want to see good music, get recognition and get, um, I don't even necessarily want it to get into the mainstream. I just want bands to be able to make a living off of what they do and to be able to do it more often and to have more venues put them on um, for it not be such a struggle. Um, I would quite, I would like to see rock music back on TV. Um, you know, there's no, you know, you watch even like chat shows, they have a musical guest on. It's always rubbish. Um, there's never any, there's never any really rock music on TV anymore. Um, I'd quite like to see that back. There is someone over here called Anastella who's trying to bring that back, which is uh, really good, and hopefully that will get taken up. And there's um, an article in issue eight. Oh yeah, there is an article in issue eight and issue seven, a pre a pre article. Um, yeah, so things like that. I think it would be good to have a proper television show promoting rock music again because mtv i don't i don't even know what's on mtv anymore it seems to be a load of like reality shows it doesn't have any music on it as far as i can see anymore um yeah i'd quite like that back i'd quite like to be able to watch music videos on tv and not have to sort like go on youtube and find them and actually work for them i want them to be there you know just put a tv channel on and watch it and yeah just generally get get a bit more recognition for what it is um not be ignored really if i was thinking about a band that you know not necessarily one in particular and band um and what i'd want for them it's been able to cover the costs and like george was saying before when when you got a band i did an interview with a band for i think it was a second magazine and they work so hard so hard they're called twister and they're in britain and they when i did the interview they were doing a gig at a time but they had traveled x amount of miles x amount of hours in a van that was held together with duct tape and pixie dust and they'd be making a loss at the gig all they'd make is any t-shirt sales that they managed to sell but that money was actually going back in the van to try and make it like buy some more tie wraps to get it back up to newcastle and maybe pay for some diesel so they didn't have to push it and everything they're doing is at a loss and they're doing it really bloody well but everything they're doing is at a loss so it'd be really nice and i I don't just mean them i mean bands generally i'm generalizing now just be able to do it and present the excellent music that they're making without having to pay for it out their own pocket if they can actually earn you know the, the the likelihood of thousands of bands being able to make a good living from it is slim to none but if they could at least cover the cost to do it it'd be a success I agree with all the things that you say. Um, Anne's great too. Anne's been on the show uh, a few times here as well. And she's fantastic. She, she's, she's great. But my wish along with everything you guys say is 
to have these bands that tour arenas like your Metallica's, your Maidens, all these big bands is start giving back and taking these hungry bands out on the road with them. You know, I, I know a lot of times the promoters need to sell tickets or justify a cost. I think Iron Maiden fans are going to go see Iron Maiden fan, regardless of who the opener is. I think Metallica is going to go see Metallica fans will go see Metallica, regardless who the opener is. Same thing with Judas Priest, same thing with, you know, ACDC tours, all these bands start having these new emerging bands open up for you. Like when you were new and emerging, these bands took you out on the road. I think that in itself, having a night where there's 20,000 people watching you for 45 minutes would have a great impact on the emerging rock scene. And it's frustrating to me whenever I see the tours come out and I see the opener and yeah, they're younger bands, but they're bands that are pretty close to being established. Right. You know, like, like, you know, why doesn't Iron Maiden take out a band like Riders Creed or something like that, you know, or why doesn't, you know, ACDC take out a band like those damn crows or, or dirty honey or something like that, you know, that needs to happen more. And I think, yes, the promoters c- control a lot of it, but these bands, like we just talked about, weren't worrying about money during the pandemic. When are they going to tell the promoters, this is who we want opening. This is what we want. Make it happen. And until that happens on a more consistent basis, that'll be one of my biggest frustrations with the lack of support from the big giant legacy artists. And that would stop the yeah. phrase "rock I, is I dead." Know. What's that? Yeah. That that would stop the phrase "rock is dead" because if right. you've got all these big bands and everyone just focuses on the big bands, then events of the big bands will stop, die, pack up, whatever it'll be, and there's no new music, and there's not been the effort to bring up the next the next lot, so it would just die. But if the big bands are supporting the smaller bands, then it all feeds back in. And it's that it's the circle of life. And (laughs) you know, then by the time I made and call it, a day there's already whoever it is that's not at iron maiden's level they'll never be but they're already at a level that's competitive and in the public eye yeah i mean i don't know how you jay i don't know how you feel about nickelback but i know there's a massive sort of divide on nickelback i personally think they're great but there's a band over here called stone broken and they would be a perfect support for a nickelback world tour but how they how they pick them i don't know you know if i could speak to Nickelback's tour manager I'd love to have a word and say get this band on because I think if I went to I go to Nickelback every time they're over here I would love to see Stonebroken support Nickelback because I think they're the, they're the Nickelback audience as much as they get a bad press every time I've been to a, an arena gig it's been full they're like every seat's been full so there's no shortage of Nickelback fans if Stonebroken could get some of them then they they would rise up and carry on and i think they would be the next band that would bring the next band up and the next band up so yeah just getting them on there how you get them on there i don't know yeah i think the promoters are in love with creating you know an environment that allows them to charge as much per ticket and you know and i think the bands although maybe they're removed from that i think they need to involve themselves more right i think they need to direct the you know, the, uh, the promoter who's ever promoting that show in that given city that are putting together the tour 
we need we need we need a newer band. We want a newer band on this, you know, or this is a band that we love that's a new. Let's get them on. Let's get them on the tour. Even if it's a even if it's the the third act on a, on a on a three bill, maybe the promoter wants that more established opener. There's nothing wrong with a half hour set in an arena, you know that that people will, you know, there's going to be more. Even though it might not be at capacity in twenty thousand, there's going to be more than five six hundred people watching that 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 third opener. There might be you know five thousand or ten thousand or half half the arena full or you know whatever. And I just think that needs that needs to happen. You know that that's frustrating. When we know, all three of us know how great these new bands are, yet what will help them get an audience is if some of these legacy artists start giving back and doing what bands did for them. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. It's been a great conversation with George and Matt from Emerging Rock Bands. I'm really excited to finally have them on. They do a, a, a great job doing what we all love to do and that's promote new rock music. Tell everybody where they can find you and how they can order the magazine. Okay. I'll do this because I've got a copy of the magazine and I can look at, the, <laughs> I can look at the things we had an interview and I didn't have any idea what the uh, links were. So you can find us on Facebook at emerging rock bands on Twitter at emerging rock or Instagram at emerging rock. And our website is www.emergingrockbands.co.uk. And you can find us there. You can order the magazine there um, follow us online um, and on socials and, and say hello, really. Thanks very, thanks very much for doing this. I do appreciate it. Well, thank we you. appreciate thanks you. For inviting us on. Thank you. Right, everybody. So kudos what you do. What's that? Kudos what you do. Thank you very much for having hey. us on. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. I, I appreciate it. You know, I mean, it's fun doing this at the end of the day, it's fun and it's exciting, you know? So I get, I get excited just as much when I have black spiders on or Jack J Hutchinson or dirty honey is when I have like George Lynch or whomever on, you know, legacy ours. I have that same passion for either one of them. So it's, it's nice to have that, uh, you know, have that excitement for, for new rock. So thanks again for, for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. I'm Jay Scott. This is the hook rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Have a safe and great holiday. Enjoy the festivities. Hopefully you are able to enjoy depending on where you're listening. Hopefully the COVID surge that's happening again doesn't take away from that. So stay safe, stay healthy, take care of each other, and we will talk again soon.